Hello, and welcome to A History of Japan. Season 9, Episode 1, Rebuilding Kyoto. Hello everyone, and welcome to Season 9. This season will cover the years from 1477 to 1573, a little less than a century, but an incredibly active period nonetheless. This period is called Sengoku Jidai, which is directly translated as the Age of Warring States, but is often more loosely translated to the Age of the Country at War. The original reference of Sengoku Jidai was the famed Age of Warring States endured by China during the collapse of the Zhou Dynasty and ended with the short-lived Qin Dynasty in 221 BCE. Japan in the 14 and 1500s, however, was not composed of states, but of military factions led by influential daimyo. Thus, the age of the country at war is a more period-accurate translation, though I would contend that the age of civil wars might be considered as another decent interpretation. In any case, I'll be referring to the period as Sengoku Jidai regardless, but please keep these subtleties in mind. Attentive listeners will have noticed that the title of this episode indicates a change in our naming standards. While I have heretofore referred to the imperial capital of Japan as Heian-kyo, which was its official name, I will from now on refer to it as Kyoto, a name which literally means capital, and the name by which the city is known today. There are a few reasons for this change. First is that by the late 1400s, most Japanese people were already referring to the capital city simply as Kyoto, so it seemed like I should begin doing the same. The second reason is to emphasize the destruction caused by the Onin War. In many places throughout Japan today, you will hear people refer to the pre-war version of the location, and it is generally understood that the war in question is World War II. However, Kyoto was singled out by Allied forces as being exempt from aerial bombardment during the war, so the old capital today contains many very old buildings which usually date to the late 1400s and were not, as they are throughout much of the nation, reconstructed after World War II. When historians refer to pre-war and post-war Kyoto, however, they are referring to the period before and after the Onin War. Although the Onin War had done serious, lasting damage to the prestige and authority of the shogunate, it would be almost a hundred years before the final Ashikaga shogun would be removed. Thus, I feel compelled to remind everyone that this is still the Muromachi period. Although some independent-minded regional powers rejoiced that the central government no longer had any ability to force their submission, Many powerful clans still desired official confirmation for their domains and continued supporting the Ashikaga clan. In the moment, there was no way to predict the shogunate's continual decline, and for all anyone knew, a resurgence might be just around the corner. By dating the beginning of Sengoku Jidai to 1477 and the end of the Onin War, I am once more breaking somewhat with conventional Japanese historiography. Many Japanese historians mark the initiation of the Onin War in 1467 as the beginning of Sengoku, 
but I prefer to date Sengoku Jidai's inception to the Onin War's conclusion for some specific reasons. First, I think the Onin War is best understood as a natural climax to the disorder that began with the assassination of Shogun Ashikaga Yoshimochi, an apotheosis of violence that left much of the capital in utter ruin. Second, the battles and wars which erupted after the Onin War were of a much different character. Historian Mary Elizabeth Berry put it well by writing, quote, Just what, we must often ask, did the contenders want? I don't think they knew. Certainly they understood the particular enmities and prizes that moved them. Surely, too, they perceived links between their immediate purposes and the deeper strains in every relationship of power and personal attachment. All else remained obscure. End quote. The struggles between influential power brokers called Sengoku Daimyo were of a more limited scope and tended toward large set-piece battles rather than urban stalemate. The other popular place to demarcate the beginning of Sengoku Jidai is in 1493 with the Meiyo Incident. While the incident in question certainly laid bare the powerless nature of the office of Shogun, I think the emergence of the Iko Iki sect and its subsequent ripples in national politics and warfare should be included in Sengoku Jidai. When we get to the Meiyo incident, you can decide for yourself where the dividing line ought to be. As always, it is beneficial to recognize that the contemporary people of this time probably would not have recognized such divisions until decades afterward, if at all. When the Onin War finally ended in 1477, the shogun Ashikaga Yoshihisa was firmly installed in the office, having been elevated when his father Yoshimasa retired in 1473. However, the real power behind the throne continued to drift toward the person of the Kyoto Kanrei. The shogun's deputy in the capital was Hatakayama Masanaga, who was in the midst of a long-standing power struggle with an older cousin over which man was the rightful chieftain of the Hatakayama clan. Contested successions within samurai clans were not unheard of in the previous historical periods. An example that comes to mind almost immediately is the struggle between Minamoto Yoritomo and his cousin Yoshinaka, which was followed soon after by the dispute between Yoritomo and his younger brother Yoshitsuna. However, during the period leading up to the Onin War and throughout Sengoku Jidai, such disputes would become almost routine. While sometimes these disagreements would arise from genuine enmity between the claimants in question, historical records usually point to ambitious retainers as the primary driving force behind intra-clan civil wars. Thus, when such disputes arise in our narrative, it is helpful to keep in mind that squabbling siblings were not always to blame by themselves. In some cases, these retainers would be acting on behalf of a minor, who could hardly have guessed at the motives of their trusted advisors and bodyguards. Toward the end of the Onin War, the growing conflict between the rival Hatakeyama leaders intensified when Hatakeyama Yoshinari, the older cousin of the Kanrei, seized a fortress in Kawachi province, which neighbors Yamashiro province, where the capital is located. Kanrei Hatakeyama Masanaga arranged to have this troublesome cousin declared a rebel, and tried to raise an army sufficient to crush his loyalists. 
However, the ensuing battles were generally not decisive, and Yoshinari proved very difficult to dislodge. The ultimate conclusion of the struggle between the Hatakayama cousins is still two episodes away. For now, it is sufficient for us to understand that the government was preoccupied, and any attempt at rebuilding the capital would need to be fueled by the residents themselves. I say residents, but it is probably better to label them as returners. So who was it exactly who had returned? The Onin War lasted 11 long years, and the first residents to flee were those who could count on a reliable residence elsewhere, the nobles and aristocrats. Many had second or even third homes, normally used for vacations or retreats, often located somewhere in the provinces of Kansai like Yamashiro, Issei, or Omi. Because their lavish domiciles in the capital had been torched and pillaged, they were in no great hurry to sift through the ashes and arrange for reconstruction. This is not to say that the nobles lived soft lives immune from suffering, as you may have assumed. The encroaching dysfunction of the Bakufu made regular tribute collection difficult for some, impossible for others. Many formerly wealthy and influential aristocratic families were forced to sell their finery, and eventually their necessities, in order to survive in the short term. The returning residents who, through great determination and fortitude, rebuilt the capital, were generally merchants and tradesmen. Before the Great and Destructive War, Kyoto had been an economic hub which generated wealth for its burgeoning middle class and new sources of revenue for the government. Those who returned and spurred rebuilding efforts had several challenges to overcome, however, if they hoped to return Kyoto to its former state as a bustling metropolis and center of culture and commerce. When the armies left, gangs of bandits came right in, harassing the returning residents and sometimes extorting them or killing them. It seemed a bad sign that much of this robbery was performed in the full light of day without any fear of reprisal. Those members of the Bakufu who remained attempted to mount police posses to chase the bandits away, but they had to contend with another threat to the rebuilding effort. Bands of armed villagers from surrounding towns who came to the capital in droves with demands for lighter tax burdens and the removal of troublesome officials. Peasant war bands were called Iki, which means league, but now had a sinister connotation of rebellion. While these groups were largely composed of peasants, you could find jizamurai and other localized warrior leaders among their ranks, often functioning as officers in their miniature armies. The Iki would storm into the city and on occasion seize some of the few remaining buildings like the Toji Monastery or other temple. Attempts by the remaining Bakufu warriors to dislodge them were generally unsuccessful, and the shogunate was often reduced to meeting their demands or waiting until the returning residents found the time to organize a more numerous assault platoon to drive them out of the city. One of the most famous ikki from the time of the Kyoto rebuilding was the Yamashiro ikki, or Yamashiro Uprising. The fighting between the Hatakeyama cousins moved from neighboring Kawach province into Yamashiro province, and the villagers of Yamashiro soon grew weary over hosting an armed family dispute which devastated their economy, stole their harvests, and generally behaved little better than bandits. 
So the various villages of Yamashiro province organized themselves into an army, led by their Jizamurai residents, and struck back at the Hatakeyama factions, using their backyards as a battlefield. The result was a surprising success. After a few initial incursions, they demanded that both Hatakeyama groups depart Yamashiro immediately. Both Hatakeyama warbands complied within a week. Although its police functions were essentially impotent, the Bakufu did manage to get tax tribute flowing their way once more, although it was irregular and frequently below expected levels. Regardless, as money flowed into the government's coffers, they hired bands of the returning residents to rebuild a new headquarters for the shogunate, as well as other official buildings. It helps to remember that these edifices were typically constructed of wood and paper rather than stone and mortar, which meant the time needed to replace destroyed buildings was much shorter than it would have been otherwise. The medieval Japanese were no strangers to destructive disasters, and this was likely not the first time that these particular residents of Kyoto had constructed houses, shops, and other such buildings. There was no real winner of the Onin War, but the faction who came out the most ahead, or the least behind, depending on how you see it, was the Hosokawa clan. You may recall that one of the primary belligerents of the Onin War was Hosokawa Katsumoto. He died in 1473, just after the passing of his arch-rival and father-in-law, Yamana Sozen. His son, Hosokawa Masamoto, became the new chieftain of the Hosokawa clan, but was too young to actually wield power. When the Onin War finally came to an end in 1477, Masamoto was almost a legal adult, but it wasn't until 1478 when he would celebrate his coming-of-age ceremony and take the name Masamoto. The Hosokawa clan was the most intact of the Kanrei families, since the Hatakeyama and Shiba were both still resolving succession disputes, but they were not yet in a good position to take power. Hosokawa Masamoto was named as Kanrei, but resigned shortly thereafter when Shogun Ashikaga Yoshihisa began directly administering his government. I'm not certain of his reasons for resigning, but it seems likely that he wanted to stay clear of the fallout from the ongoing Hatakeyama clan succession dispute, though he did manage to become a trusted advisor to the new Shogun. Ashikaga Yoshihisa seems to have really wanted the job he was born to inherit. However, while his father Ashikaga Yoshimasa had technically relinquished his role as shogun, he continued to wield power as a retired shogun. He was especially troublesome when it came to negotiating with religious monasteries over their shōen claims. Even in Yoshihisa's youth, he displayed a love of the battlefield, which may very well have helped revive the flagging shogunate in its decline if things had worked out differently. During the 1480s, trouble steadily brewed in Omi province between the Rokkaku clan and the Kyogyoku clan. Incidentally, both of these kin groups descended from the Sasaki clan, whom we briefly mentioned last season in episode 8, A Nation Divided. You may recall the story of the northern court partisan who departed the capital with his cupboards purposefully filled with foodstuffs in order to be a good host to the man who would occupy his mansion until his faction could retake the city. That was Sasaki Doyo. 
Long after the time of Doyo, the Sasaki clan had divided into cadet groups, and these new clans tended to clash with one another as rival groups fighting for the scraps of the once mighty clan from which they hailed. The particular prize for these clans was control of Omi province. The Rokkaku and Kyogyoku clan had been clashing over this for some time when Ashikaga Yoshihisa decided to get involved. The Rokkaku clan had been accused of seizing lands rightfully belonging to absentee Kuge landlords, which gave the shogunate a just cause for intervening. Considering how badly things had gone for Ashikaga Yoshimasa and his choice to let the more powerful clan leaders backseat drive the shogunate, Ashikaga Yoshihisa's decision to lead the Hokoshu, the shogunate army, into battle in Omi province is an understandable gambit. In late 1487, Shogun Yoshihisa took charge of the Hokoshu as well as an army from supporting daimyo, said to number 20,000 in total. It is difficult to know what credence, if any, to give to such a number, but the events that followed seem to confirm that Yoshihisa's force was the most significant military presence in the region. Rokkaku Takayori, the Shugo of Omi province who had been ignoring shogunal commands to relinquish seized land, soon broke his army into smaller groups and ordered them to commence guerrilla warfare against the shogunal invaders. Thus, what could have been a smart, decisive campaign for Yoshihisa became a protracted affair. This initially worked to his advantage, however, as it gave him an independent base of power from whence he could issue shogunal proclamations and orders without the interference of his father and other ambitious courtiers. The campaign against the Rokkaku clan was lengthy and hazardous. However, it is worth considering that if Ashikaga Yoshihisa had managed to finally bring them to heel and then turned his attention toward other disordered corners of Kansai, we might instead be discussing the resurgence of the Ashikaga shogunate and its subsequent 500-year reign. Going on an active campaign, however, was not without risks, and a resurgence of the Ashikaga clan to being active leaders of the government over which they nominally led just doesn't appear to have been in the stars, so to speak. After a year and a half encamped in Omi province, actively pursuing guerrilla bands of Rokkaku samurai who were utilizing irregular tactics and avoiding decisive engagements, Ashikaga Yoshihisa grew ill and died. Some of the sources claim that he had been regularly abusing alcohol and died of a possibly related brain hemorrhage at the age of 25, and we have little choice but to take their word for it. Whatever the cause, in the spring of 1489, Ashikaga Yoshihisa died, leaving his childless father Yoshimasa to once more officially take up the office of shogun long enough to find a proper successor. We will discuss his successor a few episodes from now. The dispute in Omi province was far from the only large-scale conflict that erupted during the tenure of Ashikaga Yoshihisa. Next time, we will take a closer look at the events that rocked Kaga province during Yoshihisa's reign, and catch up with our old friend Renyo, whose followers are about to stage a massive rebellion that will threaten to uproot the very foundations of Japanese society. Until then, thank you for listening. If you would like access to exclusive bonus episodes, as well as ad-free versions of the regular episodes, 
please consider supporting this podcast at patreon.com slash ahistoryofjapan. Thank <laughs> you.